Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brendan will be teaching out of the book of Matthew. going to continue our study in Matthew chapter 4 today. We will be in Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through the end of the chapter in verse 25. And so if you would, uh, open your Bibles there, Matthew 4 beginning in verse 12, and let's go ahead and read together here. Uh, let's go and read the first, uh, let's read verse 12 through 22 together. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, Light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. You know, it's a, it's a fitting song for us to sing here this morning, All Hail King Jesus, as a people largely, uh, 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 the United States of America, a, a people that are, in many respects, all about our independence, right? A people who have long said we've rebelled against the crown, we've declared our independence, yet as believers, as Christians, we say, all hail King Jesus. In the minds of some people, to say all hail to a king is just utter nonsense, right? You wouldn't ever speak such words, but we know as believers in Jesus Christ that we do serve a king. And here in this passage of scripture this morning, there is something incredible that happens here here. Of course, there's many incredible things, this being the point when Jesus really begins his public ministry. Of course, when he went to be baptized by John the Baptist, that was somewhat of a declaration there of who he was. He was coming on to the scene, if you will. He was at that point willing to allow people to begin to, uh, to seek after him and to follow him. But now here, as he's departed from Nazareth, he's coming to the area of Galilee. Uh, he's come into Capernaum in particular. He has begun. He's begun to teach. He's begun to preach. He's begun to heal. And now here he calls. And what we see in this passage of scripture this morning is one of the most incredible things I think for all of us as believers because here for these disciples this was the moment when Jesus said come follow me and for us as Christians if you profess to know Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord and Savior Jesus too has come to you and he has said come follow me we have to recognize that as believers if we are professing believers we have been called to follow Jesus and there are implications that come along with that we have long said there is a cost to discipleship there is a cost to following Jesus for some of you if you say well I don't know what that cost is my life hasn't really changed all that much well then 
I would caution you as to whether or not you truly know and follow Jesus. There is a cost to following him. It is a cost that is worthwhile. It is a cost that is necessary. It's a wonderful thing that we gain in following Jesus, of course, but there is a cost associated with it. And I want us to consider that this morning. I want us to consider the call to follow Jesus. We read there in verses 12 through 16, it says again, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put into prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea. Capernaum is a beautiful area in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled, note that, because Matthew has said this before many times, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. This is an incredible passage of Scripture here, one that has for many, many years at this point given hope to people. And, and a few things are happening here. First note that it says that John the Baptist has been put in prison. As we saw in chapter 3, John the Baptist did not shy away from saying things like they were, especially in his interaction with the Pharisees and the Sadducees as he calls them a brood of vipers. This same willingness to speak the truth on the part of John the Baptist has gotten him into some trouble with Herod. And so he has been thrown into prison at this time. Now it's around that same time that Jesus departs from Nazareth, not because of John, but it's, a, it's somewhat of a simultaneous event. And he goes then from there to the Galilee region. Now in John, in chapter 4, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 43 through 45, we read this. Now after Two days he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. You see, for Jesus, his departure from Nazareth to Galilee was, yes, prophesied. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. But Jesus himself speaks to the fact that he is not received there in Nazareth, in his own hometown. People aren't uh, welcoming him. They're not receiving him. And so he departs and goes to an area where people are eager to hear him and to receive him. And so Jesus comes to the town of Capernaum, and this is where much of his ministry will be conducted. And as we will see here, this is where he begins to call his disciples. Now let's consider a couple more things for a moment here. Matthew says that where Jesus goes here is once again the fulfillment of prophecy. Now we'll consider that piece next, the actual fulfillment, but first let's consider the locations themselves. Here at the beginning of this section of Scripture... And as well as uh, there in the end, in verses 23 through 25, uh, even there at the end of the chapter, you don't have to turn there, but it says, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease among the people. It says that his fame went throughout all of Syria, that they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the Jordan. Why do I mention that here this morning? Well, here in this, in this small passage of Scripture here, Matthew speaks to the fact that geographically what Jesus is doing here is significant. In fact, in terms of the places that were mentioned, he essentially covers all of Israel with his ministry. And so he is covering all of these areas, what some would consider the good neighborhoods and the bad neighborhoods. In fact, it's no coincidence that he begins his ministry in what would be considered more of a bad neighborhood. 
And look also here in verse 15, and this gives credence to that, it says, Galilee of the what? The Gentiles. This is where Jesus begins His ministry. The Savior of the Jewish people, the Messiah, the long-awaited by the nation of Israel, yet He goes to a place of Gentiles to begin His ministry. That says something about God. Okay, That says something about His character. That the kingdom of Jesus is being inaugurated in an unexpected place amongst unexpected people. These were people who in many cases were despised. They were looked down upon, considered less than. And this is where Jesus begins his public ministry. This tells us a lot about how our God operates. And further then, this is a fulfillment of prophecy as Matthew mentions, okay? Now it was Isaiah the prophet who spoke these words in Isaiah in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. This prophecy comes from Isaiah chapter 9, specifically verses 1 and 2, as Isaiah writes, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Here, what Matthew is saying is what Isaiah prophesied of, what Isaiah spoke to, that there would be a promised Messiah, that this is him. He's now fulfilling this prophecy as he goes into the area of Galilee, the region of Galilee, as he's ministering to Gentiles. The fact is, these were a people who were in darkness. They were in a shadow of death. But Jesus is the light that pierces into that darkness. Remember what Simeon said when he saw Jesus early on in his life there in the temple. Simeon is recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 30, as well as in 32. Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, a light to bring revelation to the Gentile, to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Jesus is a light that pierces darkness. In Isaiah chapter 9, it's a chapter you're familiar with whether or not you've read verses 1 and 2 because just a few verses later in verse 6 and 7, it says this, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government in peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You see, what Matthew is doing here is connecting us as he has from the beginning of the gospel to the many prophecies that speak to the fact that Jesus will come. And of course now Matthew proclaiming he has, he has come. What Matthew has been doing up until this point is declaring who Jesus is. In Matthew 1, through the, through the genealogy, he makes clear that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. That he's fully human, yet fully divine. God with us, Emmanuel. In Matthew 2, he speaks of the one who's born King of the Jews, that foreigners, wise men, come seeking after Jesus, also the Son who was called from Egypt, forming a new exodus for God's people and for us today as well. In Matthew 3, he speaks of the one who takes away the sin of the world, whose Father is well pleased with, who, who had one before him, John the Baptist, who was making a way for his ministry, calling people to repent. And now in Matthew 4, Jesus, as we studied last week, is the one who was in all ways tempted as we 
are yet without sin so that he could become our perfect sacrifice who is now commencing his public ministry in accordance with the prophecy from Isaiah. A prophecy there that declares again who the Messiah is, his titles, how he will function. Listen, Matthew has been making the case, fulfillment after fulfillment, and now in the second half of chapter 4, he says, this is the light. The dawn has come. It's shining light into the shadows of death. And so then in verse 17, we have the implication of Christ's coming as Jesus himself now declares, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this is the call. This is the initial call that Jesus makes. With his ministry now having begun, Jesus says, repent. And what do we remember about repentance? But that it's confession, it's contrition, and it's conversion. It's awareness and confession of our sinful state. It's contrition, which is brokenness over that sin. And it becomes more than just an awareness when you find yourself before a holy and righteous God and the fact that your sin separates you from God. And in that, in, in that moment then, it turns to conversion, which is either uh, in, in initially believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if in an ongoing act of repentance to say, I need to turn from this. As God reveals things in your life and in your heart, you say, okay, I'm not going to give myself to this anymore. Now, we know that Jesus in this area, he was received gladly. People were responding because they began to understand and receive who he was. And this is the first real point for us to consider here this morning is that Matthew has been working for four chapters to declare who Jesus is. And now it's come to a point, as we will see next, where the invitation comes to follow him. But it starts first with understanding who he is. Do you know who Jesus is this morning? Those here, those watching online, those who will watch later, do you know who Jesus is? You know him. If you say yes, if you say yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He came to die. He rose again. Belief belief in Him means the forgiveness of my sins. It means right relationship with God. Well, then the fact is, uh, you, you look at Him and you say, the evidence is overwhelming. I believe on Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Then as we will see, you must follow Him. That's the implication. If you say, I know who Jesus is, when you come to a right understanding of who Jesus is, it means you follow Anybody who doesn't follow doesn't rightly understand who he is or rejects it altogether. And we need to understand as believers this morning, we need to understand what does it mean to follow him? Because many people want to call themselves disciples of Jesus Christ, but are you really? Are you really a disciple? Because, look, we we have this perfect example here in the first four men that he calls. In verse 18, we read, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's what these men did. That's probably how they would have introduced themselves in many cases. That's how they were known. And they were fishermen. And he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately, it says, left their nets and followed him. Immediately. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. 
As Jesus is beginning to minister in this area and he begins to assemble his ministry team, uh, as we saw there in verses 23 through 25, he had begun to teach, he'd begun to preach good news, he'd begun to heal people. And these are the marks of Jesus' ministry and people are believing in and following him. And at this point, Jesus comes to these four fishermen and they have an encounter that they never expected. Now, it might be difficult for some people at just first reading here to go, man, all he does is he says, follow me and boom, they just follow him. Well, listen, there was other things that had happened that Matthew doesn't specifically record. For us to have a good understanding, we need to look at uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5 to get a little bit more insight into what had happened. For Peter, it seems based off of Luke's Gospel that Jesus had already done some healing that impacted Peter, that he specifically had healed his mother-in-law. These men had begun to hear about Jesus, what Jesus was doing. Again, some had already even been personally impacted by his ministry. And in Luke, in chapter 5, in the beginning of the chapter, in verses 1 through 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Okay, so here in this moment, you have to understand that Simon and his brother Andrew, as well as it seems uh, his friends there, John and, and uh, James, that they had been out fishing all through the night in the early morning. They, they'd been out fishing and, and they had caught nothing. They were tired. They were worn out. They had heard about Jesus. They saw Jesus teaching. There was a personal experience with Jesus, yet there was obviously still unbelief. Uh, as Peter responds to Jesus here and calls him master, there's a sense of respect there, but not him necessarily viewing Jesus as Lord. And Jesus commandeers the boat and maybe Peter just considers this somewhat of a welcomed relief. He can just stop for a moment or other. Maybe he's totally put out by the fact, I just want to finish up what I'm doing. I just want to get this work done. But you're making me get in the boat here and assist you in teaching. Who knows what's going through Peter's mind? Then after all of that, Jesus is done teaching and he says, let's go out a little deeper. I want you to cast your nets. We've already washed our nets. We've already cleaned our nets. We're done with this. We're, we're over this. But nevertheless, I'll do as you say. So Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. That's an understatement. It was such a great number of fish that their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat. They called over to James and John to help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink such a catch of fish that the boats are beginning to sink in the water. This is so significant. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. It gives us a little bit more insight as we read that here to what Matthew gives us in his gospel. But the stories are both the same with just a little more detail and it makes a little bit more sense now how in this moment, 
Peter in particular comes to the realization of who Jesus is. And when he rightly understands who Jesus is, he says, I'll forsake everything else to follow you. That is the implication to those who rightly know and understand who Jesus is. And so it was at this point when they had had an encounter with Jesus and they came to know who he was that their life was changed and they began to follow him. There are a lot of people today who say that they know Jesus, but the fact is their lives aren't different and they aren't following him. And these people, I would say, I don't know for sure, it's not for me to to judge, but I would say based off of that, they don't know Jesus. When I surrendered my life to Christ, my life changed. My life was different. The people who had known me before I knew Christ versus those who knew me after, they knew that my life was different, that I had changed. It says here that when Jesus said, follow me, he didn't say, tell people you believe in me and then come to church on Sundays occasionally. No, he said, follow me. And what scripture tells us is that it was immediate that they dropped their nets, they forsook everything, and they followed him. Now, some would say, yeah, but they were just some poor fishermen in a small town and there was this cool thing happening. Let's just go follow this guy around. Listen, they had professions. They owned boats. They had nets. They had equipment. They had supplies. I mean, they may not have been wealthy men, but the fact that they had the things that they did suggested that they had invested. They had poured themselves into this. They had families to provide for. And in this action, this willingness to follow Jesus, they were renouncing it all. They willingly gave it up. I want to ask you the question this morning. What makes you, you? How do you describe yourself? What's your identity? There's a lot of things in the world today that are kind of coming at us, that define us, ways in which people describe themselves, ways in which we find our identity. For some people, it's what they do. That's the most important thing that really defines them. It's often the one, uh, one of the first questions that comes up when you're meeting somebody. What do you do? It's how many people refer to themselves it's, uh, or refer to another person. Well, he's, he's a pastor or she's a, she's a teacher or he's a mechanic or whatever the case may be. It becomes very much about something that defines us. Sometimes the very clothing that we wear announces it to people. But here Jesus said, follow me. And they put down their nets. And Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll take what it is that you do and I'm going to transform it. You see, immediately Jesus said, I'm going to change who you are and what it is that you do and I'm going to empower your work. Paul in Philippians in chapter 3 verse 4 says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. This is that moment when Paul is speaking to who he was, what he did, his profession, all of his titles, and he goes on to say it's all garbage compared to the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus. For some people, it's their family that's who you are. That's what your identity is. It's your wife. It's your husband. It's your kids. It's, it's everything revolves around family. But Jesus says in Matthew in chapter 10, verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. For some, it's how they were taught, right? It's how they were raised up. It's their political persuasions. It's their, it's their teaching. It's where they went to school, But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, verse 4, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? For some people, it is their sex, or their race, or their ethnicity, or their nationality. But in Galatians, in chapter 3, verse 28, we read, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, Jesus said, follow me. 
and I will make you fishers of men. He said, leave all of this and follow me and I will make you who I created you to be. But listen, as I mentioned earlier in following him, there is a cost. It doesn't always mean, it do, following Jesus does not always mean that you're going to leave your job behind, that you're going to leave your family to go to the other side of the world and, 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 and preach the gospel in, these, in the, the depths of the jungle. But it may. It may be absolutely what he's asking you to do when he says, follow me. Douglas O'Donnell writes this, you had better expect to be disrupted from your ordinary life when you follow Jesus. You better expect a sword to sever relationships, to pierce your bank account, and to cut off those sins that so easily entangle you. You better expect such changes and many more. And I would add that otherwise, if not, don't suggest that you know him and follow him. If you're not willing to allow him to change every aspect of your life in a radical way. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now some people, they count this cost and they say no. And I respect that, quite frankly. I don't like it, but I respect it when somebody is willing to say that's not for me. It doesn't mean I don't want to continue to preach the gospel. It doesn't mean I don't want to continue to pursue after them. Some try to pretend that they know Jesus. And meanwhile, they hold on to the things of this world. And fact is, when we hear things like, if you want to come with me, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Sometimes it's tough for us to really make sense of what it means to deny ourselves and to follow him. But in, 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 and that's difficult until you really know him. You see, that's the important thing here. Until you really come to an understanding of who he is. But like Peter, when he came to the realization of who Christ is there, he falls at his knees and he cries out and he says, depart from me, I'm a wicked man. Because he is beginning to rightly understand who Jesus is. And then when Jesus says, follow me, Peter, he says, I'm all in. Because he knew who he was. In Matthew, in chapter 13, in verses 44 through 46, we get two parables that Jesus tells us of. In Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Both of those accounts say that the individual went and sold all that they had in order to get the prize. And Jesus rightly tells us that parable there isn't too difficult to understand. That's the kingdom of heaven. Are you willing to give all that you have for it? You see, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's interesting that on this weekend of the American Independence Day celebration, we come to a passage of scripture that says, follow me. I didn't plan this out. I didn't strategize so that it would be on this Sunday. I told you guys we were going to be done with Hebrews in maybe 11 months. It took us almost a year and a half, okay? Don't think I'm that smart to plot all this out. And the fact is, as believers, we are called, listen, on, on, on this Independence Day, we as believers are called to a life of dependence. You see, for far too many people, American is just another way to describe who you are, your identity. Friends, if you have come to know Christ and to follow him, you've left your nets. And you need to tell your, you need to, between you and God, decide what net am I still hanging on to? 
What thing, what thing about my identity am I still hanging on to, still seeking to put there and, as a way to describe who I am even as a Christian? Friends, what is first in your life? What's first in your life? Your family? Your profession? Your politics? Your country? Or is it Jesus? Are you willing to break from these things, these nets that we still hang on to in an allegiance and dependence? Say, I belong to Jesus. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is not my life, it's His. It's not my will, but His. It's not my desires, but His. Listen, independence is an idol. I'm not saying anything about the 4th of July. That's history. Too often we've tried to bring it into the church. I'm saying about independence in general, which is sort of bred into us as Americans. It's part of our DNA. Independence is an idol. Christians are called to dependence. We think we've rebelled against the crown and declared our independence. And in the eyes of men, yes, we have. But as believers, we've simply shifted our allegiance from a king of this world to a king of the universe, to the king of the universe. And his name is Jesus. Do I think this country is pretty great? I sure do. I think we're blessed. I think this is one of the greatest nations in the world. Those who would think otherwise haven't traveled much. And I hate to see what's happening to it. But the fact is, this is not my home. Well, that's not very patriotic, Pastor. Sure it is. You know what the definition of patriot is? A true patriot is defined as a person who vigorously supports their country and is prepared to defend it against enemies or detractors. And I will tell you this, that I am that and then some. Because Philippians 3.20 tells me that my citizenship is in heaven and I will do whatever it takes to defend where my citizenship lies. I will do whatever it takes to defend the word of God which is coming under attack. And this is my declaration of independence. This is my constitution. And so at times, in order to defend this, it does mean engaging in this world, especially for the means of protecting religious liberty. Don't misunderstand me this morning. But I must never forget that this is not my home. The church, friends, the capital C church is not an American institution. It has long thrived in this country because of how blessed we are. But the church is not of this world and as such it transcends borders. And that's what I love about the church because I can go anywhere in the world and I can meet real believers and they can feel like we've known each other our entire lives. The church, rather, I would submit to you is like an embassy. It's a safe haven no matter where you are in the world for its heavenly citizens. And it's time that we start realizing that about who we are. Turn with me to John chapter 6 and I'll close here as Pastor Bobby comes up to lead us in communion. In John chapter 6, in verse 64 through 69, here Jesus was teaching again and it was at this moment that many disciples, you've heard this passage before, many disciples turned away because what they heard Jesus say was just too difficult. It was too hard for them to hear. It was too difficult for them to continue to follow Jesus. What he was calling them to, the nets that they were holding on to, as Jesus began to teach them more and more, as they spent more time with Jesus, they realized, I'm not putting this down. I have other things that I'm going to go to. And in verse 64 of John chapter 6, Jesus says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Do you want to leave too? 
Listen, the world is, is going to get harder. Listen, I don't know where we're at. I'm not a prophet and I wouldn't pretend to be. But we can look at the things that are happening around us. And, I, and as much as I want to stand here before you today and say, oh gosh, guys, it's all going to be over in a month or two. No worries. COVID will go away. Election will pass. We're just going to be as right as rain come December. Everything we've long enjoyed in this country, we're just going to be good to go. I'd love to be able to encourage people who are longing to hear that promise. That's not a promise. Nowhere are we guaranteed that. The only thing that I can say with confidence is that things are going to wax worse. Persecution is going to increase. It's not about persecution starting. It's going to get worse. It's already started. Today, today in California, churches have been told you cannot sing in church. And you got a whole lot of people going, well, you know, that's just, that's just preventative measures. Listen, the government has officially said you can't worship in church. So it's not about persecution starting. It's about it getting worse than what it already is. It's going to get hard. If Scripture proves to be true, which it always has, it's, things are going to get tougher. Does that mean that we're going to lack joy? No, because our joy is in Christ. Does that mean that we are going to not have the opportunity to be at peace or be happy? No, because he gives us a peace which surpasses all understanding and our happiness is rooted in him. You see, when we have a proper perspective, we can navigate those difficult times. That's what we as Christians need to be focused on. That's what we need to be looking to. And I know that that's not always the feel-good message of the day, right? The fact is, things are going to get tough. And some people are going to walk away. We, true believers, need to be like Peter, who answers in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, when you've come to a place where you truly know that Jesus is the Christ, there is nowhere that you can go other than where he is. You have no choice but to follow him. And there's a cost to that, yes. But it's like that pearl of great price. You'll give everything you have for it. Amen? That's where we've got to get to today. And so I challenge us, be willing to go, Lord, what is it that I'm hanging on to? And let it go. Let it go. I'll close out by saying this. While it may, you know, in our desire for some normalcy, it may not be our place to say, hey, some of these things are going to pass. Um, we may well be at that point where we begin to see aspects of the end times truly begin to unfold. <clears throat> so we may not be able to say, well, the virus will pass or this political nonsense will pass or whatever those things may be. But we can absolutely say, and I can with confidence stand before you today and look you in the eye, and especially to children, and to say, but it's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. Because of exactly what Pastor Bobby just shared, because of what we considered in his word this morning, because of what Pastor Jimmy prayed, because we serve a God who is on the throne, who is above all things, who continues to meet us right where we are and minister to us and care for us who has begun a good work in us and each and every one of you who belong to Christ. And he'll be faithful to complete that work. He'll see us through to the end just as he called us. He'll see us through to the very end where we're with him in glory and forever will be never apart from him again. And so yes, it will be okay. But we are in that in-between time. And to believers, it's time for us to saddle up. <laughs> right? We've got to be ready. We've got to be ready to go. There's going to be some difficult things ahead. 
But like Peter, may we have that heart to say, Lord Jesus, where else would I go? You're the Christ. You're the one. There's nowhere else that I could possibly go. You have the words of truth. You're the light of life. I'll follow you wherever. That needs to be our hearts. But to do that, we must resign ourselves to the things of this world. doesn't mean we can't still enjoy some things. Man, I'm going to go to a lake today. I'm going to sit on the water for a little bit, okay? I'm going to relax. And I'm going to sit back and I'm going to go, man, Lord, your creation is absolutely amazing. You bless us. Lord, you bless me beyond anything that I could have ever imagined. How much greater is life with you going to be in eternity, Lord? And Lord, ready my heart for whatever may be ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you, Lord, grateful, recognizing, Lord, what a blessed people we are. Lord, you have cared for us in ways that we could never have even imagined. And Lord, we do live in one of the greatest nations in this world, Lord. We are a blessed people because of it. And yes, Lord, our hearts break because of what we see happening in our country. The hurt and the devastation, Lord, and the, the evil and the sin, Lord. And so, Father, we praise you that we're not of this world, that we're citizens of another kingdom. And Lord, help us to be ambassadors of that kingdom, to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you, Lord, to seek after you and you alone, to be willing to follow you, to throw down our nets and immediately, Lord, abandon anything that we have hold on in this world and say, Lord Jesus, I'll go wherever you want me to go as long as you're leading me, Lord. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you on this day, Lord. Lord Jesus, as a good shepherd, go before us. Lead and guide us, Lord, we pray. We need your leadership. Father, I pray that for each of these here, Lord, as they follow after you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.